Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Microphones, computers, action. Welcome to episode 12 of Americans Watching the Footy. This is our round four preview. I am Benjamin Castle coming to you from Berkeley. And I'm Ethan Castle coming to you from South San Francisco. I am back home from Arizona. Good to be talking footy with you guys again before a round where only a couple of really marquee games, but potential for a couple of pretty strange upsets that could really throw teams into chaos. And for those of you who want to know, that being all of you, Ethan is sitting next to his son, Brian Harambe, the cat. And you will hear that name, Brian, a lot in a little bit. But before we talk all about Brian and how he's going to revolutionize the sport of Australian rules football, we have a Thursday night round opener that we thought we were going to be able to hype up a lot more when we saw it on the schedule. Port Adelaide versus Melbourne at the Adelaide Oval. This one will bounce at 2.40 a.m. Pacific on the morning of Thursday, April 7th. That's 5.40 a.m. Eastern. In Adelaide, that is 7.10 p.m. We love time zones. In Victoria and the rest of the eastern states, that's 7.40 p.m. These teams met last year at Round 17 at Adelaide Oval when they were both legitimately Final four sides. Not only were they final four sides last year, they ended up 1-2 on the ladder. Melbourne beat Port Adelaide by 31 points then. Now, Melbourne is holding up as we expected them to. They're 3-0. Meanwhile, what the hell is happening at Alberton, Ethan? As I mentioned during our round three recap, after having such good luck in close games last year, it seems like Port Adelaide's just half a beat off in something, whether it's on the back end without Allier Allier, up front without Charlie Dixon, or in this most recent case, a complete collapse across the final six minutes after playing a pretty good game for the most part. And that collapse was after Mitch Georgiotis showed that he doesn't have to rely entirely on Dixon. He kicked two goals. Todd Marshall also kicked five. So a big improvement there from him. He had one goal in the opener and was held goalless against Hawthorne. So expect him to figure into things again if Porter to have any chance here. But for the second week in a row, Robbie Gray is out. He will be out of protocols in time, but Ken Hinckley has said that the turnaround would be too fast, which is understandable given it's only six days in between games, and it gives Gray very little time at all to get back up to speed at the club. I mentioned a couple nights ago that while Carl Amon, Travis Boak, and Ollie Wines have been good, they need to be great with the current injury situation at Port Adelaide. And I think that's going to be displayed very prominently when they're facing a midfield on Melbourne's level. Port Adelaide will have Tom Clurry in his season debut. 
He had a knee injury that kept him out the first three rounds, but he will slot in at fullback. Meanwhile, Melbourne doesn't have any new injuries to speak of. In fact, they're gaining one back from injury, that being Jake Lever. His foot injury is healed up nicely. He'll be in at halfback. Harrison Smith is out. Meanwhile, there's a good amount of shuffling going on in positions. Jake Bowie has been moved to the center line. Angus Brayshaw to half forward. Now, obviously, that could be flexible during the game. It's just interesting to see, you know, where they're officially slotted in on the list that's given on the AFL website. And we'll see how much of that has an impact on the game itself. Brayshaw was excellent in halfback and midfield duty last round. He had 20 marks, a very rare feat there, and really helped control the pace of the game. Yeah, I'm surprised Bowie got moved, considering just how effective he's been so far in the role he's had. But I'm interested to see how he does against some of Port Adelaide's better players. That said, considering the strength of Port Adelaide's forward group, I would have thought maybe he would have stayed at that halfback position. This could be a chance for him to show off versatility, and it could be one of those, you know, he's young, you can still kind of mold him into different spots, whereas it's a little bit tougher to do that with an older player. But maybe this is a little unnecessary tinkering and overcoaching. We'll know not that long from now, actually. We'll know tomorrow night. Meanwhile, Ben Brown is no longer in protocols, but he remains out. I wonder if the turnaround being shorter is part of the situation for him as well. Melbourne also played Friday night last round like Port Adelaide did. Why did those games overlap? But Sam Wiedemann more than made his case to stay in the lineup with four goals in his season debut. Other than a couple of brief surges, usually in the second half, Bailey Fritch hasn't been all that dominant over the first three games. So having Wiedemann establish himself well seems like a no-brainer to keep him in. It was just a matter of who is he going to stay in over because they're definitely a crowded team up front, even if there's no one true dominant player. These teams are going to meet again this year in round 18. It's a matchup that looked really intriguing to start the year. Now, we don't know what things are going to be like in another three months, but that game being played out at Alice Springs maybe has lost a little bit of its luster, but hopefully ends up being pretty intriguing, especially for the fans out there. You know, The idea of small-town footy, country footy, I think is really great, and hopefully the fans are presented with a super high-level matchup when that does roll around. A lot of time between now and then for Port to potentially right the ship for them to gain a couple important pieces back. Who knows if Charlie Dixon will suffer another setback and who knows if anyone will be able to assert themselves in the forward line to have as important a role as he does. Again, I like the strides that Georgiotis made last round, but he can't make up for Dixon's size all on his own. I guess you could say he made important strides. <sighs> Melbourne's favored by 15 and a half. I don't think there are too many scenarios in which you'd expect Port Adelaide to be a 15 and a half point underdog at home. But the way these first three rounds have played out actually makes sense. Hopefully they'll get a good crowd. Hopefully it'll be a closer game than we expect. I expect a decently close game. So if it's closer than we expect, it could be really good. I just feel like Melbourne is going to be able to pull away late for some reason. I don't know. Those outs report are big outs. After a little premature celebration last week, anointing the 32 era getting underway, 
Chris Scott has confirmed that the 32 era will, in fact, be on full display this week. Brian Myers will be in the lineup as Geelong hosts Brisbane. It'll be the first game at Cardinia Park this season. That's going to be your Friday night foot either for this week. Going to be getting underway at 2.50 a.m. Pacific time on the West Coast of the United States Friday morning. On the East Coast, 5.50 in the morning. And if you're along Australia's eastern seaboard, it'll be 7.50 p.m. Cats entering this one at 2-1, and one, Lions at 3-0. and oh. They met twice last year. And the Lions should have won both. First one quite memorable. Blitzovs could have been gotten called for holding the ball to give Zach Bailey a free kick in the final seconds that probably would have given the Lions the win after the siren. Instead, the Cats won by one. Hey, at least Bailey got his after the siren heroics in round three. Then they met in round 15, and it was typical Brisbane dominating at the Gabba. They ended up taking that one by 44, and it wasn't that close. Joel Selwood is being managed for Friday night. This is something the Cats did a couple of times last year as well, just to be able to keep him fresh throughout the course of the season. And frankly, his performance against Collingwood was much more valuable from the intangible standpoint, you know, the motivation stuff. So... I think they can still channel that without him out there. You miss his tackling ability for sure. But as he continues to get older, it's not like you miss him as much physically. And like I said, I think they'll be able to manage just fine emotionally, whether or not he's physically out there on the field. So I don't think that's an enormous loss. It's definitely nowhere near as devastating as it would have been a few years ago if you were told, oh, no Selwood this week. Ah, but who's going to chokehold one of the young Lions players? Atkins? I don't know. Maybe he fills that role this time instead of just pushing. Looking at matchups this week, first off is Sava Radagalea. I'm actually a little surprised that he's going to be in, not just because he got banged up last week, but because without Oscar McInerney, who's out serving a one-game suspension for a very dumb hit on Tristan Jerry, I thought maybe the Cats would go with a smaller lineup. But it looks like instead they're going to try to really overwhelm Brisbane in the center circle where former cat Darcy Fort's going to get some work. And then possibly Tom Fullerton, who you have to mention is a former basketball player. On Geelong's side, yes, Brian Myers will be back this week. Could have been back last week. Probably could have used him. Luckily, things still worked out somehow. He'll be back in and Mark O'Connor will be back in. Really good to have him for those one-on-one matchups defensively, have him sort of serve as the tagger. Looks like he could do that on Lockie Neal. I was thinking maybe they'd try to use him on someone like Joe Danaher. I'm curious to see how the matchups all play out. But when you have O'Connor to tag someone and Tom Stewart able to roam around and pull down intercepts, the defense looks so much more complete. I'm wondering if Radagalea might be someone you could see on Joe Danaher, considering the size and Radicalea's somewhat surprising mobility to some. Yeah, that actually, you know what? Now that you say that, that's actually a pretty neat idea. I don't know if his sort of spatial awareness would be good enough or if he would be able to keep up with someone like that, but it's definitely something worth considering. Excited to see how the coaches choose to go about it. Geelong is favored by three and a half. And it's kind of the line I expected. I didn't expect it to be that big. And I also expected Geelong to be favored there. Home oval advantage is pretty substantial. I think a lot of that does come down to the dimensions of it. It is, I believe, the third longest ground in the AFL and also the narrowest by far. 
Meanwhile, the GABA is pretty round as far as things go, so it could definitely be an adjustment for the Lions to have to play there. The other thing, I think the dimensions at Cardinia Park really play into the hands of what the Cats have done very well this year when they've wanted to. Their ability to play straight through the middle, that mix of short kicking, long running, playing things through Brad Close, playing things through Brendan Parfit, getting the speed going, and then using that to create openings in the forward 50 for someone like Tom Hawkins or Jeremy Cameron, where they're able to just catch a short pass instead of have to win a physical one-on-one or one-on-two or even more marking contest. couple notes for the Lions. This will be Daniel Rich's 250th career game. Congratulations to him. There was an article on the AFL website where he really credits Chris Fagan with helping revive his career. He's one of those success stories where you have a midfielder who was beginning to lose his impact being moved to the back and their mobility and his particularly good long kicking serving the Lions very well. He's probably one of the most accurate long kicks in the competition. If only Max King had Daniel Rich's legs, Saints fans fantasize. Looking ahead to the... Saturday games or Friday night into Saturday morning in the United States. There is a lot of overlapping this round and Sydney and North Melbourne at the SCG will have the first half and maybe part of the third quarter to itself. That game starts at 940 p.m. Pacific time on Friday the 8th, 1240 a.m. Eastern Saturday the 9th. That's a 2.40 p.m. bounce in Sydney and across eastern Australia. The Swans come in at 2-1-1, having fallen to the Bulldogs in the Thursday nighter last round. Meanwhile, North Melbourne are the weakest 1-2 possible. Their win having come against basically a waffle side in the COVID-ravaged West Coast Eagles by just 15 points. Best waffle toppings, go. Bananas. Strawberries. These teams met at Marvel Stadium last year in round 22 in front of absolutely no one. And North only lost by 14, but they also never held the lead. So that scoreline is a bit deceiving there. These teams meet at Marvel Stadium late in the season. Again, here in 2022, that'll be in round 21. Tom Hickey suffered an MCL injury last week for the Swans. He's out six weeks. Peter Laddams will get in on the ruck to make his Swans debut. Also curious to see if Joel Amarty continues to get some opportunities there. Swans are getting Justin McInerney back. And there's a strong case for Logan McDonald to get in after he kicked four in the VFL last week. McDonald's performance is why I'm questioning whether Amarty's going to be able to stay in. It's oftentimes just a hype thing when it comes to the younger guns. McDonald isn't necessarily a ruck. Lattimus has definitely shown his capabilities and his time at port, and he also has seen some good action in VFL to start the campaign. That said, there is a question of if that's enough to get him up to speed. For North, as bad as things were last week, losing by 108, and frankly, it could have been a lot worse, at least the shin boners do get Luke Davies' Uniac back from concussion protocols this week. That said, I don't think anyone gives them much of a chance. Sydney favored by 42 and a half. Rare daytime footy at the SCG. Seems like it's almost always a nighttime crowd there. So a chance for the viewers 
to appreciate the architecture of the stadium a little more because it is a pretty cool one. The timing for this game is a little unusual as well, the 9.40 p.m. start, and I believe that is to avoid any conflict with the AFL Women's Grand Final between Adelaide and Melbourne. So which game is Sydney and North Melbourne going to overlap with, a.k.a. which game will I be switching to when it starts? Well, I'm switching to it for more than one reason. The second reason is that the West Coast Eagles are playing. It is Collingwood hosting West Coast at Marvel Stadium. Collingwood playing at Marvel for the second time of the first four rounds, and this time they're at home. Once again, Collingwood has a planned home game at Marvel Stadium, just like round 15 last year against Fremantle. So I guess it's something about the Western Australian teams, which is a shame because Collingwood West Coast is definitely somewhat of a modern rivalry with the recent finals tilts, the 2018 qualifying final and grand final, the 2020 elimination final. As for last year's results, these teams played twice. Round five at Optus Stadium, I remember being very happy about that one. West Coast came home by 27. Then round 20, when things were starting to look real sour for my Eagles, they were doubled up by Collingwood at an empty MCG. This year, I expect this matchup to be more like that round 20 tilt from 2021. Collingwood comes in at 2-1, and one, having suffered their first blemish on their record against Geelong last round, despite leading by 30 and going on a ridiculous run in the third quarter. Meanwhile, the Eagles have yet to register any points for the season because, well, frankly, they haven't been that good even without COVID. This one is starting at 11.35 p.m. Pacific on the 8th in the Pacific, 2.35 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S., and it's a 4.35 p.m. bounce in Melbourne. On the bright side for the Eagles, two major things. One, they can't suck as much as they did last week. And two, they're getting a little bit healthier from the COVID standpoint as of now. Luke Shuey, Tom Barras, Liam Duggan, Willie Rioli, and Bailey Williams, West Coast Bailey Williams, because there's another on the dogs, are all likely back. They were the only five who were in COVID protocols last week, so there's a chance for them to be in full strength on that front. However, other precedented, shall we say, injuries are lingering. Though Jermaine Jones should be good to go after some hamstring tightness kept him out of the Western Derby. Collingwood will be a bit shorthanded. Taylor Adams has entered protocols. Jordan Degoe has his one-game suspension, which I still think wasn't worth a suspension, but the team accepted the ruling, so I guess my outsider perspective completely differs from what the team sees. And it looks like Steele Sidebottom should be fine. He was just cramping on Saturday, albeit at a very inopportune time. Collingwood may also be regaining Jordan Ruffhead and Trey Rusco from shoulder and knee injuries, respectively. Collingwood favored by 18 and a half. This is their third consecutive home game, though this one is, as we mentioned, at Marvel Stadium. I'd honestly be inclined to say that Collingwood will win by more than that. I think a lot of it'll be a question of when do they take their foot off the gas if the game goes as I expect it to. Well, I think they're less likely to take their foot off the gas considering what happened to them in the fourth quarter last week. Exactly, which is why I think they're going to end up winning by more than just three goals. So why is Collingwood hosting at Marvel this week? 
Well, Richmond's playing right after, and the Tigers don't like playing in Marvel. They'll be hosting the Western Bulldogs at the MCG. This one will be on Saturday for just about everyone, unless you're in Hawaii. Gets underway at 2.25 a.m. on the west coast of the United States, 5.25 a.m. Eastern time. And then if you're in Victoria, 7.25 p.m. Saturday night. Both teams entering this one at 1 and 2. These teams played at the G with Richmond hosting in round seven last year. Richmond won that by 22 points. There's a lot of storylines that are combining in this one. It's very early in the season, but there's potential for a lot of inner turmoil after a loss here sends you down to one and three. I think chemistry wise, it's going to be really interesting to see how whoever loses this one adapts. And I think there are definitely potential chemistry issues at play for the Tigers in particular, because their one really good performance came with a lot of strong showings by younger players. And they're going to be playing a bit of an older lineup with Dion Prestia back from his hamstring injury. I'm surprised he was able to make it back this quickly as bad as it looked. Also, Jack Revolt should be back from his broken thumb, though the Tigers will be without Dylan Grimes. Meanwhile, for the Bulldogs, Zane Cordy is out. He is in concussion protocol. And there are a few players who may be able to get that spot in the 22 or the 23 in his place. Hayden Crow's be able to be back after he fainted round two and was left on the sidelines for round three. Bailey Williams might find his way back in the regular 22. Or Fluffball himself, Mitch Wallace, might have earned his place back in the lineup with his performance last round a goal in his first game of the season. Robbie McComb is additionally a test, waiting to see if his ribs will be good enough to let him play there. For this one, I'm just excited to see what Hugo Rousemith will do. He was one of the few bright spots for Richmond throughout the entire game last week. He really didn't play like an inexperienced player when the Tigers completely came apart in the fourth quarter. I'm curious to see how they respond after such a terrible finish at one point allowing 64 straight points and just showing a lack of discipline that really hasn't been there for Richmond in years. You know, in a lot of their losses over the last couple of years, it's typically just been, yeah, the other team played really well, or maybe Richmond didn't play that well, but they never looked completely unhinged like this. This was a very unusual performance for them. I'm expecting that Dimmel will prioritize, you know, kind of reeling themselves in and self-control in that regard. It was strange indeed seeing so many errors and a couple just dumb frees given away. One that was given away by Marlon Pickett stands out when he was playing pretty well before that, and I feel like that kind of derailed his game. Expecting just more refined and cleaner play from him as well as seeing more of an impact from Shea Bolton. Along with that Nungar duo of Pickett and Bolton, Ralph Smith could also figure in as well, along with that Nungar duo of Bolton and Pickett. I feel like Ralph Smith may be able to figure in going forward when it comes to trying to maybe outrun the very talented Bulldogs midfield. I wonder if just sheer numbers as well as the speed from two or three of those players could help them get through at times. I'm also really excited to see how the battle in the Ruck is going to shake down between Toby Dan Curvis and Tim English, who played excellently in the Thursday night or last round. And then Curvis wasn't half bad either, had a couple good moments in the open field, 
did lose the hit out battle to Patty Ryder, but that's Patty Ryder. I'm not entirely surprised. Nan Curtis is still plenty serviceable. I'm looking for a bounce back game from Ivan Soldo, who was basically invisible last week. And for the Bulldogs, I'm waiting to see a really dominant Bonampelli performance. He seems to be slowly ramping up. The way he finished last week against Sydney looked more like his game. And still waiting on Tom Libertor to really have one of his dominant performances. I think there's an opportunity there this week. I'm just really interested to see how the coaches let this one play out. First, I want to see how Damian Hardwick and Luke Beveridge kind of enter this game, what their game plans are to start, and then how one or the other chooses to adjust when things don't necessarily go according to plan. I think it'll tell us how the coaches perceive their own team's strengths and weaknesses much more than anything we've seen in the prior weeks. I will note Libba was really responsible for that Bontempelli goal that sealed it in the fourth quarter. He had a really good 30 to 45 seconds there. But yeah, neither Libertori nor Bontempelli have had a really complete performance yet. Bontempelli, I don't think, has been at 100% yet. His ankle was something that was nagging him a bit near the start of the year. And I'm not sure what the status is on that. He did get roughed up a bit around the shoulder last week as well. So we'll see how capable he is of taking the game over. But thankfully for him, the Bulldogs have a very talented midfield and forward half as a whole. And Aaron Naughton is also good to go after getting knocked around a bit last week as well. He has not had the easiest time himself in terms of just avoiding hard contact, but it's been clean contact and he's also walk away from it all. Bulldogs are favored by 10 and a half for this one. I think the logic behind that is that they could have beaten Sydney by a lot more had they just been able to kick straight. And if that's something that can even out, they could be in a pretty opportune possession. Unfortunately, as intriguing as this matchup is, it doesn't have the spotlight to itself at all. Because Fremantle and Greater Western Sydney are also kicking off at 2.25 a.m. Pacific, 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 5.25 p.m. out in Perth, 7.25 p.m. in the eastern states. That one, of course, is at Optus Stadium, having mentioned the Perth time. I understand giving Collingwood West Coast the spotlight. That's a game that's usually pretty compelling, but I think you could have put Sydney versus North up against one of the big games and then put the other in more of its own time slot because the two best games of the round are not only overlapping, they start at the exact same time. And this is one that I think maybe we'll finally be able to figure something out about these teams. Last week was the first time we really saw a fully operational Fremantle. And GWS, every week, I don't know what to make of them. You know, against Sydney, they were with them for three quarters. They were largely the better team for the first half, though not by a ton. And then they completely shit their pants against Richmond, only to come back and completely dominate Gold Coast the very next week. So what are these guys? Maybe the league didn't see Fremantle and Greater Western City being such fascinating sides this early on in the season. They haven't necessarily played the cleanest games, but they've been really fun and also really weird losses at times to start the season. Fremantle enters 2-1, and one, having demolished the Eagles in Western Derby 54. 
The Giants got their first win of the season last round in their home opener, and that was a pretty convincing one. These teams met early on last season at Optus Stadium as well, with Fremantle winning by 31 points. I think a big factor in determining what the Giants are going to be this round is whether or not Nick Haynes will be ready or if his ankle is going to keep him out as if the Giants already weak defensive unit needs another issue with Phil Davis out long term with his hamstring tear. Without Phil Davis, I'm also curious to see what Leon Cameron tries to do to slow Matt Tabiner after his regal performance last week. For Freeman, Darcy Tucker is in concussion protocol, but Sean Darcy, who has been out with an ankle injury, and David Mundy, who's been in COVID protocols for the last two rounds, are both likely returnees. Caleb Zarong, probably at least another week from getting back still. You were talking in the round three recap about how you're wanting to see how Leon Cameron responds to what Frio has done thus far this season. Even though his record may not be the greatest, there's often praise around the tactics that Leon Cameron ends up deploying. And I still don't exactly know what to think of Logmere. I think we're going to be able to tell pretty quickly how much of an impact he had on last week's game plan based on what differences there are in just kind of basic things. For example, where the hell is he going to put Michael Frederick? For some reason, in round two in particular, Frederick was stationed in the forward 50 like he was four or five inches taller. Meanwhile, in the Western Derby, he was used properly as, sure, a forward playing mid, but one who thrived on the ground. I think this game has a more likely chance to be a blowout than Richmond against the Western Bulldogs. But I think there's still so much to learn about both these teams that it's the one that I'm a little bit more intrigued by. And as we choose to kind of divide and conquer whenever there's overlap, this is actually the game that I decided on when I had first pick. So if it becomes a blowout, that's my fault. No one to blame but myself. But also, even if it does become a blowout, I think it's a good opportunity to learn more about these teams tactically because, again, they've just been so tough to get a read on. And I think that inability to get a real read on both teams, especially the Giants, is why Fremantle's only favored by one and a half on Saturday. One and a half does seem a bit low to me. I would say if there's one bet to take this week, that's the one. Now, this is the first of two meetings between these sides this season. They'll meet again in the closing round at the Monica Oval outside Canberra. And with how these teams are positioned and how a lot of people figure they might be in that very crowded middle third, looking for those final couple spots to get it to the eight, this is one that I'm already starting to circle in pencil, that round 23 clash between these two. Don't sharpie it. I'm not Seth Davis, Virginia. We kick off the Sunday slate when it'll still be Saturday in the United States. Sunday, April 10th at 1.10 p.m. in Melbourne over at Marvel Stadium, Essendon hosting Adelaide. In the United States, that'll be Saturday night, 8.10 for us on the West Coast, 11.10 for those on the East Coast. And I would think the rest of the American viewers can figure out their local time accordingly. These teams played at Marvel last year, Essendon winning 84-21 to in round 17. And a similar performance would do wonders for the Bombers, considering they're entering at 0-3. 
Adelaide one and two coming off one of the greatest rivalry finishes in the history of the AFL. But the Bombers are going to be entering this one without their head coach, Ben Rutten, because of contact tracing bullshit. He tested negative, but because of a positive test in his household, he can't coach against his old team, even though he's fully vaccinated, as pretty much everyone involved with the AFL is. Once again, I don't know what the hell we're doing at this point. Damian Hardwick brought this up last week. I don't get it. We have enough data. We've seen enough examples in different countries of different strategies to be used. And Australia is basically managing this as if it was a full year ago. It's nonsense. And I hope that it doesn't affect the Bombers because they've slowly built up and been a little bit better each week. If you had said at the start of the year that they were going to be 0-3, most people would have said, yeah. And if you had said they would have lost to Brisbane by 22 and Melbourne by 29, would have said, all right, it's just the 66-point margin against Geelong. If that was more around the 20-point range or even in the 30s or low 40s, you could look at this thing and say, all right, they had a really tough order to start the year. Now they've got a chance to settle down. They're facing the Crows outside of Adelaide, which is definitely the way you want to get them. And it's a chance for them to get back into this thing. Although I think if they were to lose this game, it would be completely fair to write them off and never look at them again, even though there are other teams that if they fell to 0-4 could actually still have a little bit of hope, including Port Adelaide. Anyway, this is a must win for the Bombers, obviously. Meanwhile, The Crows are a team that I definitely have trouble reading. I mean, we gave them the aloe black test last round, and I said they were barely real, and Ethan said they're real at home and fake on the road. I pointed out that Adelaide are a single play away from 2-1 and and Keith Chapman not being able to smother in the opening round, and also that they're a single play from 0-3 in Jordan Dawson and his after the siren kick actually coming back, which still boggles my mind. The mind boogles. I know you think about that Heath Chapman play in the bathtub. Have you been thinking about Jordan Dawson's goal in the bathtub? If I ever hear my harp will go on in public, I think of that kick. Not gonna lie. It's recent. This is Taylor Walker's first game back. His suspension is over. And I called it. Darcy Fogarty omitted. He has not been nearly as accurate as he was these past couple years. And it kind of makes sense for Tex to be able to fill that longer kick role and also with some greater size that can make him more flexible and still, you know, prominent in his key forward role as well. Of course, obviously, there's all the context about the reason for Walker's suspension and kind of the merit of someone coming back after that. Bottom line is he served his penalty and I hope he's learned his lesson His responses seemed genuine. I would love to see him be able to put that into action. It's probably going to occur more off the field. Other things for the Crows in their injury report, Rory Sloan appears likely to return after his adductor issue. We're going to wait on Lachlan Murphy, who injured his neck last round when Sam Mays put that tackle on him that led to that Dawson goal after the siren. Murphy did have surgery on his neck last year, which is why it's of particular concern. I'm curious to see how Elliot Himmelberg and Lachlan Gallant follow up their performances last week. 
because both of them actually looked really good after there was a lot of criticism of them, not just in our little bubble. It was put up or shut up time, and they both put up. They both put up four goals, in fact. For Essendon, we'll wait and see on Nick Cox, Aaron Francis, Harry Jones, and Will Snelling, all up in the air at the time of recording. And Zach Reed, who's coming back from a foot injury, both played in the VFL last week. So there are a lot of question marks for the Bombers. We may not know until pretty close to Sunday what their actual team is going to look like. We do know that first-rounder Ben Hobbs has a chance to make his debut, or debut, as they like to say. This is a real chance for both teams, for the young guns to take the spotlight. That was definitely the case for the Crows in round one when Joshua Shelley and Jimmy Rowe had excellent outings, and we'll see if they're able to regain some of that prominence against the Bombers. Meanwhile, for Essendon, you mentioned Hobbs, and also Tex Wanganin will probably figure into things again. And if Harry Jones plays, I liked what I saw from him in the back part of last season, so maybe he could start to build on that in his sophomore campaign. Callum Twomey predicts Hobbs is going to get the start with Wanganin available as the injury sub. At first, this was a matchup that didn't really appeal that much to me. You know, the teams being a combined one and five. But when you actually look at this matchup, with the possibility of all of these young guys getting a chance to prove themselves, this could actually be pretty fun. And I'm looking forward to hopefully familiarizing myself with a new player or two that I hadn't really thought much of before. However, this game will not have the air all to itself as starting 130 minutes after will be the matchup that definitely more people will be tuned into. And I figure that this will be the Channel 7 game, that being Hawthorne versus St. Kilda at the G. The bounce for that is 10.20 p.m. Pacific on Saturday the 9th, 1.20 a.m. Eastern Sunday the 10th. It's a 3.20 p.m. local bounce. It's unfortunate that overlaps have to occur. I get that the AFL doesn't have the air all to itself. There's really just no really dull matchup aside from Sydney and North Melbourne. And it's a damn shame in comparison that Swans North has a more favorable time slot compared to the Saturday night games and the first two here on Sunday. If I were in charge, I'd have tried to keep all those games separate from each other. It's just like with the male crawdads and the female crawdads. You gotta keep them separated. They're going to eat each other. They're going to eat each other. Both Hawthorne and St. Kilda enter this one two and one. Hawthorne lost a one-point thriller to Carlton last week. Meanwhile, St. Kilda looked really down. And then, holy cow, Max King showed up and the whole team rose with him, as well as Brad Crouch and Jack Steele to get past Richmond. In round seven last year when these teams met, St. Kilda easily dispatched Hawthorne by a very nice margin. Nice. However, St. Kilda is going to be without one Jack for this game as Jack Higgins is in concussion protocol after the Hugo Ralph Smith tackle from behind in the first quarter last week. Jaron Geary also in concussion protocol, but I think the injury news for Hawthorne might be bigger. Chad Wingard will be out with calf tightness. It sounds like Jarman Impey is still a week away. We'll see if Jack Scrimshaw can get back in. There's a chance Tom Phillips comes up from the VFL. Curious to see exactly what the Hawks look like this week. I thought last week, even though they lost, 
I was just super impressed with their coaching and their adjustments and choosing to go slower against Carlton in the second half, keeping it simple, kind of underthinking to success, looking, hey, these guys are playing really fast and beating us in the forward 50. Let's just play slow. And now I'm curious to see what they do against St. Kilda. I think this game will tell us a lot about St. Kilda's strengths and weaknesses just based off of how Hawthorne chooses to match up with them. We mentioned last round that St. Kilda's most notable weaknesses is their lack of speed. And I'm wondering if Hawthorne can exploit that on the counterattack with Joth leading them once again in that way. I also want to see where Joth is going to be in the defensive 50 and who's going to end up going up for March with him. That could definitely be a scenario where Max King might be able to get a couple on him with his height advantage. Although you could also have Jaff kind of roam around instead of kind of play a tagger role. And I think playing that roaming role works better for him, especially with his ability to start counterattacks that way after coming off an intercept. Speaking of Jeff, 7AFL asked the question on Twitter and Instagram, who's your favorite player to watch this season? And started the discussion with CJ, which I think is awesome. Again, I'm really glad that he's getting attention. He's such a fun player. And you can tell Hawthorne's kind of starting to build a game plan surrounding him. The line for this one, St. Kilda currently favored by two and a half. The determining factor here, I think, has to be both teams' ability to go on huge runs. We've seen, even in their losses, both teams having a quarter or more, in Hawthorne's case, where they just dominated. Obviously, for St. Kilda, other than that loss to Collingwood, their good quarters have usually been when Max King takes off, and for Hawthorne, it's when they get the counterattack flowing. These teams meet again in round 20 at Marvel Stadium, and by that, I think it's going to be a pretty different outlook for Both clubs, I think we're definitely going to know a lot more about what works for them in the long term, where their coaching stands, whether or not Sam Mitchell's early plans will be able to stay intact, whether or not Brett Ratton still looks likely to be in good standing in terms of his tenure at the end of the season. And in terms of off the field stuff, we'll see what the situation is culturally at Hawthorne. There's been the big story developing with the calls for Jeff Kennett to resign from the Hawks presidency. A lot of it relating to things that Cyril Rioli has come out saying have happened about some of the kind of implicit racism that he suffered while at the club that eventually drove him away and contributed to his retirement at just 28 years of age. I'm thinking more in terms of off the field that the combined Rioli and Kenneth situation may open up a whole can of worms, at least to some sort of cultural upheaval at Hawthorne in general. And if that is the case, we'll see if the on-field product will be able to block out the distractions and stay afloat despite that. Almost thinking how it'll compare to the cultural situation at Collingwood these past couple years. I don't think it's that rampant. Doesn't seem to be so far, but who knows? Maybe there are people waiting for their chance to make statements that have been quiet so far. I don't know. Cyril Rioli and Hawks for Change seem to be the first couple dominoes in the sequence. We just have to see how long that chain is. Round three ended with a whimper. Hopefully round four doesn't as well, though I can definitely see it happening. 
with Gold Coast and Carlton at Metricon Stadium. This is actually a pretty early bounce for the final game of the round. It is an 11.10 p.m. bounce for the Pacific time zone where we are here in the U.S. So it's still on Saturday the 9th when that gets going. That's 2.10 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday the 10th. It's 4.10 p.m. local in Queensland and across the eastern states. I guess Sunday night football hasn't really become a cultural institution like it has in the United States. The Suns come in at 1-2. and two. Their win is not all that convincing because it came against the Eagles, while one of their losses was a very competitive one to Melbourne where they could have very easily won it with better kick-in. I think X score may have actually given them the edge on that one, but then they completely shat the bed against Greater Western City this past week. Meanwhile, the Blues come in unbeaten after having outlasted Hawthorne at the very end, and I say outlasted because they really did have to survive that one. That long run, only scoring two goals in the second half, You know, if the Suns had played against a more complete Eagles team and lost a competitive game, I wouldn't have had too many negatives. I felt largely positive about them following the round two loss to Melbourne, but the way they got absolutely run off the field by GWS makes you think it's the same old Suns doing the same thing they always do. They get off to a nice start. They have some promise. I don't think anyone questions the ability of their midfielders. Especially Tuke Miller with just how much the Suns suffered when he was successfully tagged last round. But then you see a game where they completely fall apart like this and look just like they always have. That said, it's an interesting opportunity. It's going to be the Levi Casbolt revenge tour as they host a 3-0 Carlton side. These teams met twice last year. Blues won by 11 in round four at Metricon Stadium, and then at an empty Marvel Stadium in round 21, Gold Coast won by 19. It's hard to believe not all that long ago, Carlton was scoring just 57 points in the game when you look at the way they're playing now. Yes, Adam Chera is a big new in compared to last year for Carlton, but there wasn't really a huge overhauling of their personnel between last year and this year. It's come in the form of coaching and Michael Voss has succeeded where David Teague didn't. And I think the overall impression is that maybe Teague was making things too complex for the Blues when, with their raw talent, Voss is allowing them to open up the field to play to their strengths. Sounds like Isaac Rankin's likely to return. He's got to pass a fitness test for his quad injury, but should be ready to go in theory. Adam Saad should be back from COVID protocols. We're not sure yet about Mark Pittenett or, most importantly, Oscar McDonald. There's a chance Liam Stalker can play, though coming back from syndesmosis usually takes more than one VFL appearance. So we'll wait and see what the Blues look like. But barring any late COVID outs or something like that, knock on wood, they should be, at the very least, mostly intact up front. And that's against a Gold Coast team that doesn't have a terrific back line. So this could be an opportunity for Patrick Cripps and Harry Mackay to really run wild. Carlton favored by 10.5 in this one. Honestly, a little surprised it's not more. Maybe the defensive outs for Carlton make a job of potentially tagging Miller or Rao more difficult. And so maybe some people are figuring that it'll end up closer because the Suns midfielders 
will be able to do more than they did last round. I have a good feeling that this game will end up being won through the midfield just because that's how both these teams operate, and there's plenty of star power on both ends of it. How much can the Gold Coast duo do against the Carlson trio? The odds are already stacked against them numerically in that regard, and they also have worse supporting pieces by and large. So I really don't think Carlton will end up having much trouble, but the Suns can do some weird things, and it may not all be Stuart Dew's doing. As much as they like to keep things simple so far, I think matching up with the Suns actually probably requires a more complex strategy, at least defensively. So I'm curious to see how Voss and the Carlton coaches go about adjusting and tweaking things for this game in particular. So that's your slate for round four. Maybe not a lot of matchups that really jump out at you. But most likely... Eight of the nine should have some degree of intrigue to them. For the second week in a row, the Thursday and Friday night games seem to be the biggest ones, but I think there's still going to be decent entertainment Saturday and Sunday, and considering a couple of these games have the potential to be real stinkers, maybe it's a good thing that we have some overlap. We'll know about it in a couple days, and either we'll feel really smart for complaining about it, or we'll be praising the schedule makers for knowing what they were doing all along. Or we'll be mad at ourselves for picking one game over the other, which I feel like is going to be the prevailing emotion over any other for the two of us. We just want to watch good footy. And you'll be able to follow along with all of our thoughts on the games and other happenings around the AFL at Americans Footy on Twitter. Sometimes we tweet stuff from our own personal Twitter accounts as well. You'll find me at BenjaminHK01. And you'll find me at Castle Media, K-A-S-S-E-L-M-E-D-I-A. And you can find my cat only on Instagram at cat named Grian, or just search Grian Harambe because really the only person out there with those two names put together. Person. Yes, person. Fair enough. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been Americans Watching the Footy. We'd love for you to reach out to us through those social media outlets. Tell us what you think of the show, of our thoughts, where we're wrong, where we're right. Probably where we're wrong. We're dumb Americans. Come talk with us about waffle toppings. Yeah, I don't know. What weird stuff do they put on in Australia? Do y'all put Vegemite on your waffles or something? I don't know. I've never tasted Vegemite, by the way. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be prepared to do so when I finally make my footy pilgrimage in a certain number of years' time. Or you could just send us Vegemite. Yeah, that'll be fun. DM us. Send us stuff. We like free stuff. Who doesn't? We'll get back to you in podcast form, at very least, in the day or two following round four. Look for our recap episode to hit various platforms on the Tuesday or so following the round. Thank you.